Thank you, Salam, for that wonderful special music. I invite you folks to take your Bible, please, and open up to the New Testament book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. Now, uh, this is uh, an exciting time for Christians around the world because of what Jesus did and what he accomplished on the cross for us. And it's an appropriate time for us to examine the last week of the life of the Lord Jesus here on the earth before the crucifixion. There are many details of Jesus' last week that we simply do not know. And we have to be honest. There are things that we'll only learn when we get to heaven. Scholars today even argue as to whether Jesus was crucified on a Friday or was it a Thursday or some even contend that it was on a Wednesday. There are those that don't even agree as to what day he rose. And they have their arguments and their, their um, thoughts as to why it was he rose on Saturday and not on a Sunday. But everyone at some point must admit speculation on these things. Now, personally, I've spent many years, many years, researching all the arguments, both factual and fanciful, and I've carefully picked apart all of the Bible verses that talk about his death, burial, and resurrection. And personally, I've come to certain conclusions on the matter. Namely, he died on a Friday, and he rose on a Sunday. Hallelujah. And so today, we're going to look at the events, um, not every single detail, but a good number of them, of the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And so with your Bible open at Matthew chapter 21, I invite you to have a word of prayer with me before we proceed any further. Our Heavenly Father, we come upon a topic most precious to our hearts today, and that is the work that Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary and the days proceeding up to it. Our Heavenly Father, we ask for special wisdom. We ask you, please, Lord, to undertake for us and uh, open the eyes of our understanding. Father, I pray that if there be one watching the broadcast who has not yet been born again, that indeed they would see their need to run to the cross of Christ today and to put it off no longer. Lord, have thine own way and bless in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I believe the first thing we need to understand when we uh, deal with this subject is the context of what's happening. The context. And the context is simply the week of the Jewish Passover. <clears throat> Some might not be familiar with the Passover. A Passover was a yearly celebration that God started for the Jews when he brought them out of Egypt. The angel of death was to passed throughout the land and the Jews were to take the sacrificial blood of a lamb and apply it to the doorposts and lintel of their homes. And the promise of God is when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And hence the celebration of Passover for thousands of years now. The celebration was accompanied by several days of unleavened bread. Families came from all over Israel and came to Jerusalem. And it was a joyous time of getting together. And in the light of all this, Jesus now comes to Jerusalem with his disciples. Now, most likely, 
on the Friday afternoon. This is a whole week before Jesus was crucified. On the Friday afternoon, Jesus came to the little town of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. Here he arrived at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where he and his disciples stayed throughout the week. It's here that we read that Mary took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very precious, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, just as we read in the scriptures in John chapter 12. And then on Sunday, now, the first day of the Jewish week, a great crowd of people was now starting to enter into Jerusalem. And so Jesus sent two of his disciples to get a little donkey for him to ride upon into the city of Jerusalem. And this was his triumphal entry. With your Bible open at Matthew chapter 21, please follow along verses 8 and 9. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Churches all around the world at this time celebrate this as Palm Sunday. When the people took palm branches and laid them down and even waved them. Uh, Hosanna, Hosanna to the, the Son of God. And this is known as Palm Sunday all over the world. Now after Jesus came in and spent a few hours in Jerusalem, he left and he went back to Bethany. And we can see this in verse 17. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. Now the next day was Monday and Jesus started back into Jerusalem. The Bible says that he was hungry and he saw a fig tree in bloom and finding no figs, he cursed the fig tree in verse 18. And in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. It began withering right at that time. Now the gospel of Mark places the cleansing of the temple after the cursing of the fig tree. Whereas Matthew here places the cleansing of the temple after the cursing of the fig tree. But we will follow Mark's lead because it seems to make the most narrative sense. It seems to make the better narrative. And so now entering into Jerusalem on that Monday morning, Jesus goes into the temple and he drove out all of the money changers. And we'll go back to verse 12. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And now folks, this is the second time in Jesus ministry that he did this, that he cleansed the temple, establishing his authority over the temple. He was God come in the flesh and cleansing the temple established his authority over it. This is the second time he did it. Now the next day was Tuesday. And as Jesus came back into Jerusalem, 
His disciples noticed the withered fig tree here in verse 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? Verse 21. And Jesus Jesus answered and said unto them, verily I say unto you, if ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. What a wonderful promise of God for answers to prayer. We need to pray believing. Now is when Jesus' enemies in the city of Jerusalem on Tuesday try to publicly oppose him. In verse 23, And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they, that's the Pharisees, reasoned among themselves saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Oh, I wish we had the time to go through every detail and every verse. But we only have so much time. But here is when the enemies of Jesus begin to publicly oppose him. After this, Jesus began to use parables. And he spoke to the people in parables, talking about how the kingdom of God would be postponed. If you'll remember when he first came in in his ministry, he was preaching much like John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And truly it was. He was the king and he was coming to offer the kingdom to the people. But throughout his ministry, they kept rejecting him, rejecting him and rejecting him. And finally, they could reject no longer. The offer was off the table. The kingdom was to be postponed. But at this point, his enemies try to publicly disgrace him. They tried to publicly oppose his authority. Now they tried to disgrace him with hard questions. And the first question they came to ask him is, is it right, is it lawful to pay tax to Caesar? After all, they lived in a corrupt land, in a corrupt government. The Roman government was corrupt. Everyone knew it bribes and all kinds of horrible things going on. The people knew it. And the big question is, is it right? Is it wrong to pay taxes? Tribute money, they called it. And so they came to Jesus with this hard question because none of them had the answer. They would use this question to try to befuddle people, if you will. And in chapter 22 and verse 15, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples, as the Pharisees, with the Herodians. The Herodians were the followers of Herod. They were there to act as witnesses, I'm sure. Saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God 
and, and, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Boy, they were laying it on thick, weren't they? Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They said unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled. I mean, they just wondered at it. It's like almost they were thunderstruck. They'd never heard this logical answer ever before. They marveled and left him and went their way. Listen, you can't fool God. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. My friend, if you're watching this broadcast and you're trying to live for God and live for the world at the same time, you're not fooling God. And I'll wager you're not fooling the people around you. They can see your hypocrisy. Oh, come clean. Come to Jesus today. Ask his forgiveness. Live your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, the second question came about from the Sadducees. That was the other political group. And their question concerned marriage and the resurrection. In verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Then they get into this wild story about uh, these uh, seven brothers who all end up marrying the same woman and all seven brothers die and it's just a big mess. <clears throat> they get to the end. Verse 28, therefore, in the resurrection. Now remember the Sadducees, they don't believe in a resurrection. So they're trying to entrap Jesus. So they're, they say, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And they must have done one of these and sat back and said, let's see him get out of this one. We got him now. We got him. You can't fool God. And so here, the Lord Jesus answers them and says in verse 29, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, number one, nor the power of God, number two. You know, the so-called Christian cults who deny the deity of Jesus Christ and deny a bunch of other important Bible truths. These people don't know the scriptures nor do they know the power of God. Listen, if the Sadducees, who used the Old Testament scriptures, if they didn't know what the scriptures were talking about, neither do these cults know what the scriptures are talking about, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, verse 30, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. That must have set their eyes rolling in the sockets. They'd never heard that answer before. But as touching the resurrection, here comes the power of God. The resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham. Present tense. I am the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus was telling them right there, you don't even know the power of God. 
God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And I say today to everyone who believes in this soul sleep, that after you're di you die, your soul goes to sleep. I say, phooey. That's not what the Bible teaches. God is the God of the living. And all who've died knowing the Lord as Savior are surrounding God around his throne as we speak. They're rejoicing in heaven even now. And they can hardly wait for us to get there. God is the God of the living, not of the dead, nor of the sleepy. Well, that sent them running with their tail between their legs. You see in verse 33, and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished. Astonished. They were stunned at his doctrine. Well, then we get to the third question. And so the Pharisees had heard they'd put the Sadducees to silence. They gathered together and one of them, which was a lawyer, this is a Pharisaical lawyer, a lawyer of the, of the uh, Old Testament laws, asked him a question, tempting him. See that? Tempting him. And saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This was one of their favorite things to argue about. And they had all their reasons and their logic. And they said, we know what to answer him. If he says this, we'll say that. If he says that over there, we'll say this over here. We know what to do with this. And they brought this out. You know, the big guns, right? And this was the, the third big gun. And verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And Jesus didn't stop there. He went on. And he said, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And again, they were absolutely shut down. They asked him their best questions. And they were put to silence. They were not able to disgrace Jesus publicly with hard questions. Sometimes we get asked hard questions, you and I. And we don't have those answers. And sometimes we have to hang our head and say, I don't know the answer. Jesus never had to do that, did he? God never has to hang his head and say, I don't know the answer. My friend, God knows every answer to every question and every problem. And the problems that you're facing, he knows the answer to. If you'll come to him looking for an answer. Well, after all of this, Jesus goes on to denounce the scribes and the Pharisees. We haven't the time to go through chapter 23, but he pronounces woe on you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. He pronounces woe on them in a whole chapter. But by now it's Tuesday afternoon and Jesus now departs from the temple. He departs out of Jerusalem and he goes and he sits on the nearby Mount of Olives and he has his disciples there with him. Look at chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings in the temple. And verse 3, and he sat upon the Mount of Olives. And his disciples came unto him. And so it's here that our Lord Jesus sat with the disciples, and he foretold of the destruction of Jerusalem. Some of the disciples spoke of all of the buildings of the temple. To them, the temple, the presence of the temple meant the presence of Almighty God. That's why they were saying, well, what about, what about the building? What about 
the, the temple and all of the beautiful stones? What about this, this presence of God? And Jesus went on to foretell how that it would all be destroyed. All of it. It would all be destroyed and destructed. In chapters 24 and 25, Jesus spoke of the destruction of Jerusalem. He spoke of what will happen to Israel during the tribulation. And all of this is found in chapters 24 and 25. But now Jesus makes a prediction of his coming crucifixion. And for this, we have to turn to chapter 26. In chapter 26, it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Now remember, it's still Tuesday afternoon. He said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover. And the Son of Man is to be betrayed. Is, is, is betrayed to be crucified. And so he makes this stunning prediction of his coming crucifixion. After this, you'll see the chief priests, they get together to plot Jesus' death. This is all on Tuesday afternoon, verses 3 and 4. Then assembled together the chief priests and scribes and elders of the people under the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. Now remember that name. We'll be coming back to it. And consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Now notice they didn't want to kill Jesus on the feast day, which was Thursday. They didn't want to do that. They, the, uh, this was the day before the Passover. You see in verse 5, they said, but they said not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. That was an important time, a special time of, of feasting. They didn't want to, Upset people. They wanted to do it by subtlety. At this point, Jesus returns back to Bethany. Verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon, the leper. Here we have the same account as the anointing of Jesus uh, that John's gospel gave us. But it was now that Judas left and went and made his deal with the chief priests. Look at verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, this is Tuesday evening, he sought opportunity to betray him. Well, on Wednesday, we have no account of what Jesus did. All we can assume is that Jesus rested and he would need all of the strength he could muster for what was about to come. We come now to Thursday and on Thursday, Jesus sent his disciples to make ready for the feast in a large upper room. If you look at verse 17, now the first day of the feast of unleavened bread uh, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to such a man and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them and they made ready the Passover. This was the great feast. And so now we come to Thursday evening. Jesus and his disciples all sat down together for the Passover feast. It's here that John's gospel tells us that Jesus 
girded himself with a towel and took a basin of water and washed the feet of the disciples. Then Jesus spoke of his betrayal, how someone would betray him. After this, Judas left the building to go to betray Jesus. Now, after Judas was gone, Jesus instituted the communion service. Look, please, at verse 26, chapter Chapter 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, Drink ye all of it. Means all of the disciples there were to drink of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. When they finished this, they sang a hymn together. And then they left for the Mount of Olives, which is just east of Jerusalem. Look at verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now John's gospel in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 John's gospel tells us that as they were going, as they were walking, Jesus comforted his disciples about his coming departure. And this is where he told them, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me. And so he spoke on these things and he comforted his disciples and he also taught them about the Holy Spirit. And that's how the Holy Spirit would come and be their comforter. And then he made his great high priestly prayer. All that's found in those chapters in the Gospel of John. He then told his disciples how that they would all run away and forsake him when he was arrested. Look at verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. It wasn't just Peter. He's known for it. But all of the disciples, they all chimed in with Peter and they said, we won't deny you, Lord. We won't deny you. Finally, they arrive at the foot of the Mount of Olives to a, a garden called Gethsemane. The name Gethsemane means oil press. And they would take the olive oil, the olives from the, the garden, and they would put them in the press and make olive oil. But it's here that the Lord Jesus leaves eight of the 11 disciples, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him further into the garden. Please look at verse 36. 
Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. It's getting late into the night. Jesus comes back and forth two or three times between where he leaves Peter, James, and John to that spot a little further where he was praying. There are many more details that we could cover. But it's getting late into the night and his disciples are tired. In fact, they fall asleep. Suddenly, Judas and the temple guards show up and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss on the cheek in verse 49. And forthwith, he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. At this point, the Gospels of Matthew and John tell us that it was Peter who tried to defend Jesus by drawing a sword and lashing out at uh, one of the men standing there. Jesus is arrested and he's taken to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And then he's taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, where mock trials are conducted in the middle of the night. And Jesus is condemned to death. And it was totally against the law how they did it. But they were subtle of heart, weren't they? And it was during this time that Peter denies Jesus three times. And look at verse 74, please. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Oh, what a bitter pill that was for Peter. How hard that was for Peter at that time. Well, the clock ticks on. It's now early Friday morning and the chief priests take Jesus away to Pilate, the Roman governor. Judas shows up and he tries to undo the damage he's done in chapter 27 verses one, two, and three. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And of course, it was no use. The damage had been done. And what it was that Judas did will never be forgotten. He could not undo what he did. Sadly, he went out and he hung himself. Suicide is never God's way. Never. I don't know if you've ever been tempted at any time to take your life. Maybe you thought, what good am I? I'm no earthly good. Everything I do seems to end up a disaster. I only hurt people. I'm better off dead. Maybe they can use the insurance money. I'll kill myself. 
Don't do it, my friend. What a mistake that is. Listen, don't let the devil win. The game is not over. Don't let the devil win. You need to run to Jesus. You need to run to Jesus now and not wait, not delay. And so Pilate ends up with Jesus and he doesn't want to handle this case. So he sends Jesus off to Herod as soon as he learns that Jesus was a Galilean. That was Herod's jurisdiction. Off he goes to King Herod. This is according to the gospel of Luke chapter 23. Herod talks to him a bit, doesn't get what he wants, and so sends him back to Pilate. Pilate is pressured by the Jews to crucify Jesus. In John 19, verse 1, we find that Pilate gives the order to have Jesus scourged. A horrible, inhuman way of treating another human being. Horrible. Pilate did this, we think, in order to gain pity of the Jews to try and release Jesus. But nothing worked. And so Pilate gives in and orders Jesus to be crucified. And we see this in chapter 27, verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made. A tumult is a great big swelling of noise of a, a crowd a growing, grinding, griping, grieving, fist-shaking, dust-throwing, shouting, beating kind of a crowd. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And verse 35, And they crucified him and parted his garment casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them and upon my vesture did they cast lots verse 37 and set up over his head his accusation written this is Jesus king of the Jews oh beloved there are so many details we have to pass over and we have to leave you the the, the joy, the, the privilege, the, the duty of reading these yourself through the Gospels. But Jesus was nailed to the cross for approximately six hours. He hung there approximately nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, during which time he bore in his body all the judgment of Almighty God upon a wicked world. Every sin that has ever been committed he suffered. He suffered and died for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the whole world. Why? Why did it have to happen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us the answer. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me explain. God the Father made God the Son, Jesus, to become sin for us. And yet Jesus knew no sin. He wasn't a sinner. He never committed a sin. Why did the Father do it? So that we could be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. My friend, you need Jesus Christ. You must be in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ must be in you. That's the whole secret of eternal life. That's what it's all about. There's a story told 
about a a young boy who got left in a horse-drawn wagon. In fact, I think it, it was in tandem. There were two horses drawing this wagon. And what happened to him? He almost died. He almost died. Oh, listen, I don't know. I, I don't know how many deaths we're going to see in Canada. Um, it's, a, it's a terrible bit of news when the government has to come on television and say, folks, I'm sorry, but with this coronavirus, we're expecting this number of thousands of deaths to occur in Canada. And death means nothing until it happens to someone close to you or it happens to you. It's like the word accident. Years ago, there was a big sign, a big poster, and it said, accident. An accident is just a word until it happens. Very true. Death is just a word until it happens. We don't know who's next. It could be me. It could be you. We don't know. Oh, my friend, are you ready to meet God? My friend, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you turned from your sin? Have you turned away from the wickedness of the world and the sin? Have you turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to cleanse that sin and to come into your life, to enter your life, to be your Savior and your Lord? Have you done that? Are you living your life for Jesus Christ? Are you ready to meet the Savior? This story told in the early part of the 1800s of this horse-drawn wagon, two horses in tandem. The young boy was left in the wagon while the parents had some business to attend to. Something scared the horses and off they took with the tiny boy in the back, holding on for dear life. The horses were scared and they ran at full gallop. And if they had hit a rock or something and that wagon had tipped, that boy could have been killed or maimed for life. There was a young law student who saw this. He jumped on his horse and risked his own life catching up to the wagon. And he was able to slow it down. And he saved the life of the boy. His parents were so happy. Many years go by. Many years go by. The young boy grows up. He got hanging around with the wrong crowd. He grew up and he became a criminal. He broke the law. He became a thief and a criminal. And then he became a murderer. Finally, he was arrested. And he was brought before the judge for his sentencing. And as the criminal stood there, looking into the face of the judge and looking down at the judge's name, he realized this was the young law student who had saved his life many, many years ago. And on the basis of that, the criminal appealed to the judge for mercy and clemency and to let him off. And the judge sadly looked at him and said to him, young man, he said, it's true. Many years ago, 
I was your savior. But now, sadly, I must be your judge. And the judge then sentenced him to death. What will happen to you when you die? Will Jesus be your savior or will he be your judge? The, de the decision is up to you. The answer to that question lies in your hands. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. One day, your heart will be saying, what will Jesus do with me?